Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. Another great guest on today's podcast. Excited. I am as well. On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses all while deepening those very important client relationships. And as our regular listeners know, we are passionate about the need to bring in new and diverse talent into the financial advisory industry. In fact, a good deal of FlexShare's proprietary research supports that need and offers insights into how you can make that happen. In March, we released our third advisor wellness study, which revealed a high level of career and life satisfaction for financial advisors. They told us that the ability to help and serve people, along with the flexibility that they had in their schedules, were some of the key reasons they loved their career so much. And in our ongoing investor and advisor research on the need for diversity, we find even more proof that high net worth investors want their advisors to be backed by a strong and diverse team. High net worth investors, not surprisingly, want advisors who are like them, people who have a shared culture, shared gender experience, or other attributes that would suggest they understand that client's unique needs. And our guest today, Jana Gregoric, is passionate about bringing more women into the industry, and she has a platform to help move that needle. I met Jana after a CFA St. Louis event where I was sharing some of FlexShare's diversity, equity, and inclusion research, and we've kept in touch since. And I'm so glad you did, you know, learning more about Jana and, and about what we're going to talk with her today. She is the Chief Growth Officer at Visionary Wealth Advisors. And in her role, Jenna is a key member of the Visionary Executive Team. She's responsible for the growth of the company, which has grown to eight locations in four states, and they just start, opened in 2014. And on a daily basis, she partners with the 35 advisors of Visionary to help them establish their business plans, help them set goals, and serve their clients. She's also responsible for firm-wide training and communications and builds relationships with advisors in the industry that are considering making a change to become independent advisors at Visionary. Jenna holds a FINRA Series 7 and 66, Missouri Life and Health Insurance License, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant from the American College of Financial Services, and if that wasn't enough, she is actually a Change Management Certified. She holds a Master of Business Administration from Washington University in St. Louis and a Bachelor of Science in Communications with a minor in Business Administration from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. She lives in an Illinois suburb of St. Louis with her husband, Brian, and two young children, Caroline and Douglas, 
And in her free time, which I can't imagine she has very much, she enjoys chasing her kids around. Well, I can imagine that. Reading every day, I can't imagine that. And challenging herself to learn new things, including her latest challenge, golf. Welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast, Jana. We're delighted to speak with you today. Thank you so much, David and Laura. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, I will tell you that I tried golf during my career several times, <laughs> and it never worked out really well for me. In fact, I was so bad my last time out, which now is several years ago, that I ended up literally throwing the ball off the tee <laughs> on the last nine holes. That's how bad. <laughs> well, David, I think I can relate to that a little bit. I My goal when I made the career change to come to Visionary I realized that being in a male-dominated industry, such as financial services, business happens on the golf course. So here I am, a female professional, and I'm sitting on the sidelines, and I'm competitive, and I decided I need to get out there and at least participate. So I will say I show up. I'm not good, but at least I show (laughs) up, and I'm part of it. (laughs) Well, I realized several years ago that I could get out of a lot of work if I learned how to play golf. That too, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I just read your bio. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you were drawn to this industry, and what did your path look like? Sure. Well, I would say, David, I came into the industry in a really – roundabout way. Like many college graduates, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had a communications major, I had a business minor, and I was applying everywhere. Again, not sure quite who I was or what I wanted to do. But out of college, I was very fortunate to, I say fortunate, but I was proactive because I was blindly applying to a lot of different companies And I kept hearing about Edward Jones located in the St. Louis area. And I blindly applied to the marketing department. And of course, as a college graduate without much experience was denied. So I thought, I'm not going to give up. A friend of mine's sister had worked in the marketing department. And I reached out to her, sent her my resume and said, please let me know if you have any opportunities. She replied and said, I don't work there anymore, but my roommate does. I'll pass along to her. From there, she sent it to a partner at the firm who led the rotational leadership program. And I was very late to the game. I was after, almost right after graduation. They just so happened to have someone drop out of the program. I was able to interview and use some internship experience to share how I might be a fit for the company and was hired into this rotational leadership program. And from there, I spent 12 years in the corporate headquarters and Throughout that time, of course, studying for the designations that you mentioned between the Series 7, 66, Life and Health, CLU, CHFC, and keeping my head down and just learning as much as I possibly could. I think it's really interesting that I am in the financial services industry because if you would have asked me in college what my least favorite class was, would be corporate finance. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was probably my least successful class in college, it probably in my entire scholastic career. But what I quickly learned by doing all the academic part, but then just being part of a great company and great culture was that financial services is so dynamic. And I became really passionate about leading and mentoring others, whether that would be financial advisors, helping them grow their business and work with their clients and serve their clients or working in a headquarters environment, corporate environment, where you're 
developing and training associates to be the best that they can be at what their their specific career path. However, about you know 12 years into my career, I decided that I was ready for a change. I loved the company. I was very happy there, but I learned that there are many different paths within financial services. There's not one right way to do things. And I kept hearing about this phrase called RIA and was really curious to learn what is the RIA space? What does that look like? What does it mean to be a fiduciary? And I decided to start networking. And what I found was that I, I thought I knew a lot about the industry, but in fact, I knew a lot about one company. And what I learned about the industry is there's just not one way to do things. And happened to see on LinkedIn a job change from a former colleague of mine, became the chief investment officer. His name's John Fisher of Visionary Wealth Advisors. Around the same time, they had built this gorgeous building five minutes from my home. And I thought, I have to learn more about this company and what they're doing. And John then introduced me to our CEO, Brett Gilliland, who at the time, the company was only three years old. And I was just blown away between Brett Gilliland and our other partner, Tim Hammett, the vision for the company and thinking differently about financial services. And while the financial services behind financial planning are very important, it's about thinking differently, think, being more visionary, if you will, about the industry and where it could go. So I made a leap of faith in 2017, left a very steady career where I was a limited partner at an established corporate entity and joined more of a startup RIA. And as you mentioned, we've been in business now eight years, grown to eight states and am loving it and never been happier personally or professionally. That's really cool. Thank you for giving us more of your story. So as Laura and I, we've looked out at the landscape of the wealth management business. And as Laura mentioned, she and I are both passionate about diversity within the ranks, including more adding more women in the advisory roles. But as you mentioned, there are, however, so many tangential roles within the financial advisory business where there are opportunities that can help actually create diversity. I'd love to learn more about your role as chief growth officer at Visionary Wealth and the company itself, is your role considered a business development function, number one? And two, are you focused on bringing more diversity to the firm itself? Those are great questions, David. Yes, my role, actually, when I started at Visionary Wealth Advisors, I was brought on as the director of business development. And again, what's great about being part of a firm and growing a firm is that I was able to utilize and tap into my own strengths and create this position on how I saw best fit for myself and of course the firm. So at the heart of my role is business development, was recently promoted to chief growth officer based on the growth of the firm and the growth of our advisors. And it is truly a passion of mine, both serving women and bringing women to, and diversity to not just visionary, but the industry. Studies continue to show that women and minorities are still grossly underrepresented in the financial advisor space. We know that females make up 51% of our total population, but they're only 18% of financial advisors. And even to take that a step further, in addition, just 2.9 of advisors identify as Black or African American, 
a little over 5% as Hispanic or Latino and 4.3% as Asian. So obviously there's a huge opportunity, but what I think is the most important is to begin education early in financial literacy with kids. So whether that means talking to kids around the dinner table, educating them in their classrooms, around concepts like saving, spending, investing, and just making sure money is a part of the conversation from very early on, that's where the interest and the drive is gonna start from that young age. And I'll just use myself as an example for me, even though both of my parents were both professionals, money was never discussed. And I don't know if that's good or bad because as a parent myself, you want your kids to be kids, but you also want them to be informed when they're out on their own and they know what they need to do with money, understand what it means to work with an advisor that they trust, maybe even include them in those conversations. And that will hopefully spark an interest in them to help others by becoming advisors themselves. So my own education for financial services was completely on my own when I feel very fortunate to have started in financial services and self-studied and self-taught and also had great mentors along the way that have continued to ignite this passion. And I've been doing a lot of speaking events at grade schools, high schools, and college-level business courses about the importance of financial literacy. And like I said, hopefully sparking an interest in the industry early, but it really does have to start for the right reasons. And what I mean by that is I recently had the opportunity to speak at a college-level class. And I always start by saying, who in the room is interested in becoming a financial advisor? And you have a few students that raise their hand and then I ask them, why? So tell me why you're interested in becoming an advisor. <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of the answers is because I wanna make a lot of money. And I stop them and I laugh and I say, no, that's the wrong reason. The reason is, you know, you want to help people and give back to the community. So again, it's having that passion for really helping people reach their financial goals, but understanding money from an early age and having the right reasons to do so. Wow. There's a lot to unpack because I, I'm realizing the more you talk, how similar some of our, our paths and, and some of the things that we do are. But on that last point about you know not doing it for the income, what we found in FlexShare's advisor wellness study was that the income and compensation was much, much lower on the list of advisors who responded and said that they they had tremendous career satisfaction and life satisfaction. It was, you know, number one was because they loved helping people. And this is a job where you can truly make a, a huge difference in somebody's life. And then on the, you had also mentioned going to the schools. Well, my daughter's soccer coach is an Ed Jones advisor. And so we hook up from time to time and visit the local high schools and, you know, try to try to get the word out. So I'm glad to hear you're you're doing that as well, because I do think college is not too late. But, you know, the more we can talk about it to younger folks, even before they go into college, you know, so many people have no idea that this is even a career option and that you don't have to be a finance major to get into this industry and have a very successful career. And I can attest because I was an English major. <laughs> and Laura, really quickly, if I'll add to that, I think you make a 
terrific point in that it's interesting as students or young people or anyone in general say, oh, I want to be advisor because I see these successful people out there and they are advisors. It's easy to focus on the successful people in every part of our life, but you have to keep in mind and educate them on what it took to get there. And it can be a long road, but by knowing their why and why they're doing it and doing it for the right reasons, you know, obviously they, we, the hope would be to become successful someday, but that's not the reason. It's to truly help others reach their financial goals. That is so important and not to stereotype, but we do know that many women end up in careers where they're helping people, whether that's teachers or nurses or whatever. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned some of the statistics of women in this industry, and it's it's really depressing, you know, especially as we understand all of the reasons that this could be a really great fit for women. When we when we first spoke after that CFA event, Cerule, I think, and we spoke about it, had just published some of their 2020 research on the topic and and showed a gain of 2.4 percentage points for the previous five years in terms of female advisors, which now represent, according to Sruli, 18.1% of all financial advisors. And, you know, while I suppose any growth is good news because we've been so stagnant, if we look at that growth rate over a five-year period, it's going to take decades until we get to parity with men in this industry. Not to go on and on about the disappointments, but you know what's also disappointing to me in seeing that statistic is that this anemic growth came during a five-year period where, at least I feel, there has been a heightened focus on getting women into the industry. You know, we, we see more data and scholarly articles about the business benefits of women in this industry. There's been more promotion of the attributes of financial planning that would suggest it's a great fit for many women. And during the last five years, it almost seems like there's been an explosion of women's affinity groups in this industry. So I'm curious, Jana, what are you seeing as the major hurdles or the reasons that women still seem reticent to either join or stay in this industry? I'd say, Laura, traditionally the barriers to entry and not just the barriers to entry, but also then success in this industry in general are very tough, especially when you're joining a traditional broker dealer or wirehouse that has specific standards as a new advisor and metrics to meet. So that could mean nights away, that could be weekends working in order to quote unquote make it. So that can be very difficult. And then layer on just starting a business and then trying to balance personal life. It's not this not just women, but it, it traditionally is a women topic around balancing motherhoods, personal um, endeavors, charitable endeavors, etc. And in my opinion, Laura, many people, especially women, want work-life balance. And that's something everybody's talking about, right? How do I get more work-life balance? How do I get more work-life balance? And especially during COVID, this forced all of our hands as we've all been home for a year with our spouses and our kids. But even pre-COVID, I've really adapted this concept of work-life integration. 
instead of work-life balance. Because by definition, the concept of work-life balance means that something is always off kilter. Nothing is ever in balance in a day. You may have one day where you're just slammed with work and a ton of meetings, and then you're able to come home and have some personal time at home. There may be other days when you have a lot of personal things going on. Maybe you're part of a charitable board that has a big meeting, or maybe you have kid activities. And so that day, you know, that tilt may go up a little bit on the balance. But by creating this concept and leveraging this concept of work-life integration, meaning that every day you can do a little bit of both to have a fully integrated life, whatever that means. So making sure you're scheduling your time based on what needs to get done that day. So some days it may be more work focused, some days it may be more personal focused, but if you can do both in the day, then you feel like you're having a more integrated life. And the reason that I bring that up specifically when it comes to female advisors is there are other opportunities besides starting as new advisors in the industry for women. We hear we talk a lot specifically about advisors. And while we know the population of advisors for females is 18%, as we mentioned, the reality is 46% of the industry is women. So this will include, you know, headquarters positions, operations, leadership, but there's also opportunities for females to join advisor, established advisor teams. So as the um, industry continues to evolve, there is the concept of team-based advisors where they're not completely on their own. And if, if you do have to take a day off to focus more on your personal, you have a team behind you or a counterpart that can continue to run the day-to-day -day of business and not feel like you're trying to keep all the balls in the air at every time, every single day. I'll use an example specifically of a, a dear friend of mine her name is Katie Martin. She was a dear friend of mine in Edward Jones headquarters, very intelligent. She's a CFP, she's a CFA, she ran the equity research department and got to a point where she said, I miss working day to day with clients. And she has found her niche in working with female advisors. And she's decided to leave her corporate role and work specifically with female, female clients. And it is so needed in the industry and we all know that, but until I've specifically seen her transition from working in a headquarters to now working day-to-day -day with clients, I think a lot of times women specifically, they prefer to work with females. And the most recent example of that is I help manage an inbound client prospect process for visionary wealth advisors. Meaning if a client calls in, to the company, I help manage the, the program to say, what are you looking for? How can we help you? And let me introduce you to the right advisor based on your needs. And I spent a, probably a half an hour talking to this woman, a professional about her business, about her personal life, her spouse, her investment needs, what she's looking for. We're about ready to hang up. And she said to Therian, oh, Jana, just hang on one minute. I have one question for you. This may be a stupid question. And I said, yes, absolutely. What, what's your question? Happy to help. She said, do you have any female advisors at your firm? And I said, absolutely, we do. Can you tell me more about that? And she said, I have to tell you, I wouldn't have asked that if I was talking to a man, but I'd really prefer to work with a female advisor. 
And so that was a huge aha for me. We know there's this need out there for female advisors. We know that women are taking more control of the wealth in the nation, especially as we know women live longer and the baby boomers are aging, but we're still having a hard time vocalizing our needs and wanting to work with other women. So for me, that was a huge aha moment and just solidified all the statistics that we shared today. And, you know, I'll, I'll just add to that, as you know, we've been uh, conducting some diversity advisor teams and diversity research. And we, we did our first survey of both high net worth investors and advisors, advisors in terms of are you building a team? And when you build that team, does diversity come into play when choosing the members of the team? And when we talked to the high net worth investors, we asked, you know, is it important for your advisor to be backed by a team and how important is diversity? And what, what we found is that there's a real disconnect. Advisors, advisory firms don't necessarily think of diversity when they're building their teams. But as you just said, people want to work with advisors who they feel have shared experiences, whether that's shared gender, culture, Whatever it is. In fact, we, we just did an update to that survey, which should be out at the uh, end of May, early June. We're really excited about it. In 2019, f- women were four times as likely to work with a female advisor than men. This year, that number went up to five times as likely. Asian investors are working with Asian advisors. Non-Asian, non-white investors are working with non-Asian, non-white advisors. So Building that diverse team it is it's so important to be able to capture more clients. And as we all know, demographics in the U.S. are changing very quickly. But I could go on and on, but I won't, because I want to understand whether in your role, you're able to bring on more female advisors within the visionary network. And, you know, what seems to be working to bring them in and where do you struggle? Yeah, I would say what's working the best at this point for our network is networking. And it's the way we're growing in general at Visionary Wealth Advisors. So we are an independent RIA and our advisors come over as established advisors. They'll transition to become independent advisors at Visionary with the backing of the firm behind them. So our biggest struggle is that we're looking for those established advisors. Well, we already know there's only 18% of the total advisor population that are females. So looking for that 18% to then make a transition can be difficult. I would say one of the highlights though, or opportunities is that in a place like Visionary, for example, there are no sales goals and there are no quotas. So they're able to live that fully integrated life without the pressure of, gosh, I need to hit these numbers. I need to bring on more clients. We have some advisors that say, gosh, I'm the happiest I've ever been because I have this amazing book of business and I'm working with them. I'm servicing them. I'm growing organically and in the right way. So it takes a little bit longer but it's in the right way and they're able to spend that time doing what they're passionate about personally. So I do spend a lot of time, Laura, networking specifically in female networking groups, such as the CFA Society. I do a lot of local networking women groups, to your point, there are more than ever, which is phenomenal. And it's great learning and meeting 
female business owners in general and learning from them about how they're growing their business and applying that to visionary as well. I will say just one other story. When I was a young professional, I was out door knocking with a financial advisor who happened to be a male. And I was new to the industry, again, out of college, just trying to learn as much as possible. And my goal was to shadow this advisor as they were going around making door-to-door contacts. And who's typically home in the middle of the day are typically either you're retired or perhaps you're a stay-at-home parent, traditionally stay-at-home moms. Well, what I found by door knocking with this advisor is the advisor would be asking this person questions. Uh, Typically, it would be the stay-at-home mom. And when this woman would answer, she would answer to me. So while this male advisor was asking the question, she was answering to me. And so to your point about wanting to work with people who are like you, that at a very young age was like, oh my gosh, there's a real opportunity here. And for a long time, I also considered about uh, considered becoming an advisor myself. But what I became very passionate about was this topic right now and how do we attract more talent to the industry? How do we develop them? How do we make sure clients are being met on a macro level and then support our advisors at all different levels to make sure they're helping their clients? That, that is great. I, you know, I've had so many conversations with advisory firms and leaders from other industries about retention. You know, you so often hear, well, I'm able to bring on talented women, but we're not able to retain them. And, you know, I will say, however, in, in our FlexShares research, we are seeing higher retention rates based on gender than we do, say, by race or LGBTQ financial advisors. But nonetheless, five-year retention is still an issue. And I, and I do think that it, it causes some firms to maybe shy away from hiring that woman if they you know, are, are thinking they may not be able to keep her on staff. You know, what kinds of things specifically is Visionary doing within your network to retain advisors, specifically female advisors? And, you know, are there any gender specific resources that you provide that, that helps that retention? Yeah, I would say, Laura, that what I love about Visionary Wealth Advisors and what has, I'll just be frank, attracted me to the company and also retained me going on four years now is that it's not specifically focused on business. We talk about personal, professional, and financial wellness. How are things going? We talk more about family than about business. Of course, business will come, but it has to be going back to work-life integration. It all goes into one. So by continuing to talk about the numbers and clients, and that creates this pressure on everybody, not just women, to continue to perform and, again, keep all the balls in the air at any time and not feel like they can leave and you know, go to their kids play or attend this charity event for a little bit in the day and do the things that make them a fully happy person personally and professionally. So that is one thing that we continue to cultivate every single day, whether in our one-on-one conversations from a leadership team to advisors, tell me how things are going for you personally, what are some things that we could help you with, as well as professionally. I think the other thing then specifically speaking to professionally is we allow our advisors to set their own goals. 
again, they are their own business entity. So at the beginning of every year, one of my business objectives is to sit down with every single one of our advisors one-on-one and have a meeting with them for them to tell me their goals. Now, some are very personal, some are very professional, some are financial, and I notate that and we have a really great discussion back and forth about what can Visionary do to support you and how can we help you achieve your goals at the end of 2021 and then taking that consultative approach and helping them throughout the year get get there versus the firm or the leadership telling them here are your goals and here are what you need to do. So it's an inverse relationship. And again, it takes the pressure off of advisors. And I will just say for women, right, they are setting their own goals and they know if they have a lot going on personally that year, then maybe they'll dial down their professional goals for one year, or maybe they'll dial it up the next year and we're going to support them. So I think by taking off the pressure to make it, so to speak, from what the company says, really helps us with retention and they are truly owning their life and their business. And then in terms of your second question with the gender specific resources that we provide, again, that's a real passion of mine stepping into the executive team in 2017. One of the things that I've been able to create are gender specific and women specific support groups and initiatives. So being an alumni, for example, of Washington University in St. Louis, there are fantastic resources and women conferences. And I'll invite all women at our firm, including support staff to come and we'll all carpool together and go over to Washington University in St. Louis and attend a conference together. We have luncheons together, we have round tables. And so how do we continue to foster support personally and professionally from the women advisors and also the staff at the company. Wow, Jen, I really like that, that work-life integration. That, that's, that's really cool. All right, so we've all heard when rearing children that it takes a village. And I can tell you, as a father of five who lives next door to his in-laws, yes, and everybody loves Raymond sitcom situation, <laughs> nobody knows that more than me. But beyond our immediate families, FlexShares, if we want to put it in this context, really thinks of advisors and firms that we serve as our village. So I'm curious if you have any advice for asset managers like us in terms of how we can be helping bring more diversity to the financial advisory industry. Well, first of all, David, I love that you talk about your kids Mm -hmm. openly. I also live down the street from my parents. So (laughs) my husband might have the same view as you about maybe too close for comfort. But, But to be honest with you, David, I think that that is one of the huge pieces that drove for myself, myself and other female advisors to a company like FlexShares, like Visionary Wealth Advisors. In my initial meetings with our partners, just getting to know them with Brett Gilland and Tim Hammett, we talked about our kids. So our CEO has four kids. Our president has three kids. We have triplets in our office. We have twin. I mean, so it's just making that easier to have that conversation because I think sometimes as women, we feel as if we have to 
hide that part of us to be this professional and to be able to sit at the table, right? I'm a young female professional sitting at a table full of men. And I never want to feel like I have to hide that part of me because that's, that's who I am. And I've never felt like that at Visionary. It's discussed. We joke about it. It's part of all of us, right? As parents. So first of all, kudos to you for talking about that. And I think you've answered your question right there. The more that you can do to really talk about people's lives as part of work, because it's not just about sitting at your computer all day, every day, or the contacts that you've made or crunching numbers or spreadsheets. Nobody wants to do that anymore. And I think COVID has really forced us all to learn how to slow down and take care of ourselves a little bit better and truly live this more integrated life where gosh, maybe now I'll wake up early and answer my emails before my kids get up and then take them to school and go to an exercise class. And then I'm at meetings in the morning and then maybe, so it's more of a flexible day where I'm still getting everything done that I need to do. But I know that there's things that I personally need to do every day to make me a happy and fulfilled person, which includes to your point earlier, reading every night. (laughs) It's, you know, it's one of those things like I'm too busy or I could answer these emails or everybody wants to watch Netflix, which don't get me wrong. I I still love Netflix, but I love reading and it's a passion of mine. So when I made the transition to Visionary Wealth Advisors, I thought about what are the things I need to integrate into my life again to make me this a happy and fulfilled person. And that one of them was reading and one of them was daily exercise for my own mental and physical health. And so my point to that is the more that we can openly discuss these concepts and of course talk about business results because that's why we're in business, but not that not be the driver that will really help this conversation around women and making them feel like they can be their true authentic selves every day and not leave the industry to Laura's point earlier after this five-year burnout rate where they're realizing I'm missing this time with my family, my kids, my, my personal life is suffering for what, you know, you have to take care of yourself first. That's true. Well, as our time comes to a close today, we'd like to, we always like to ask our guests to leave our listeners with some actionable takeaways. So give us one or two pieces of advice that you would give to advisory firms that want to bring more women into their firm and retain them? Advice that I'd give to firms is to encourage leaders to be both open and vulnerable. I think, again, COVID has allowed many of us to be more vulnerable and open as we're doing Zooms from our home and have pets and spouses and kids in the screen. But by allowing people to be vulnerable and be their authentic selves allows others of any gender, any diversity to be their authentic self and be happy in what they're doing. Because again, it goes back to the why. Why do you want to be a financial advisor? And if the answer is to help people and help them achieve their financial goals, that's a true reason that they want to be an advisor. And we need to help them be happy in all aspects of their lives to allow them to do so. And then the second piece of advice is by allowing that conversation and specifically asking, how are they doing personally, professionally, and financially? and allow for that open dialogue to talk about their goals, not just business drivers, and provide guidance and consulting on how you can help them get there and better serve their clients. Wow, 
Janet, this has been a very enlightening and great conversation. And we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and hope you'll come back soon. I would love to. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Well, if you are an advisor and would like to know more about Visionary Wealth Advisors, just visit www.visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find Jana, like I did, and connect with her on LinkedIn or find her on Instagram. Just first for Jana, just search for Jana, J-A-N-A, Gregoric, G-R-E-G-O-R-E-K. Also, if you'd like to learn more about FlexShares Advisor Research and some compelling reasons why diversity within the advisory industry is good for business, just go to goflexures.com slash diversity or goflexures.com slash wellness. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcasts called Funds in Focus. Check it out today wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.